Hell Pilots playing Tales. You couldn't give them away. I've done plenty of tales about the triumphant aircraft of World War II that fought in the skies over Europe, Africa, Russia and the Far East. Aircraft like the Supermarine Spitfire, Hawker Hurricane, Messerschmitt BF-109, Focke Wolf 190, P-51 Mustang, Aleutian IL-2 Stamovic, Bort F4U Corsair, Lockheed P-38 Lightning, Mitsubishi Zero, Grumman Wildcat, and I'm sure that you have your favourites as well. Quite naturally, I guess, not so much is known about the horrible failures. Aircraft that, despite having well-recognised flaws, were flown by the bravest of pilots, those who knew that they had little chance of surviving combat in their awful machines. There were a surprisingly high number of them, as it seems there were unscrupulous manufacturers out there who put making a buck above the lives of the airmen who would have to fly their creations. Not all of the aircraft we will look at are in that category by any means. Many were just misguided ideas, old designs, or put into the wrong role, but some are. Let's start with a couple suggested by our fine friend, Main Man Micah. The Volte P-66 Vanguard and the Bell P-39 Aero Cobra. The Vanguard was a single-seat, low-winged monoplane powered by a Pratt & Whitney 14-cylinder twin-row radial engine that looked quite reasonable on paper. It first flew in 1939 the same year that marked the beginning of the war, and it had a top speed of 340 miles an hour, the same as the Hurricane. It came in several versions, some were trainers and others fighters, but the first prototype had a mishap when it collided with a Lockheed Cirrus while landing, severing an undercarriage leg, which was something of a portent for things to come. It had teething problems, such as a lack of cooling for the engine, which was cured by a cowling redesign. However, the Swedish government ordered 144 of them. All well and good until when in 1941, as production deliveries were about to start, the US government decided it was going to embargo exports to Sweden. Fifty were retained by the U.S. Army Air Force to be used at pursuit training bases. And although the pilots thought them maneuverable, they proved to be rather fragile, with a strong tendency to ground loop, which fairly quickly wrecked 15 of them. The British government showed an interest in obtaining 100 of the newly designated P-66, but after trials, they decided they were better off with their own fighters, so the aircraft were relinquished to China under the Lend-Lease program. Thus began the troubled aircraft's long journey to the Far East. The aircraft were shipped to Karachi, uh, then in India, now in Pakistan. The plan was to assemble them there and then fly them to Chengdu in China. The debacle that followed was rather fitting for this unfortunate aircraft. After reassembly, several were crashed during trial flights by Chinese pilots, unfamiliar with the unforgiving nature of this tail dragger. 
A mid-air collision watched by dozens at Karachi snuffed out the lives of two Chinese pilots in an instant. More of the planes were lost while being ferried to China, and still more were simply stored in Karachi's colossal dirigible hangar, short on parts or played with structural problems until they just rotted away. Out of the 129 aircraft shipped, only 79 made it to an engagement on the 21st of November 1943, when they shot down an Oscar and two of their own P-66 vanguards, since the two aircraft types looked strikingly similar. Today there is no known example of a B-66 to be found anywhere in the world. The Bell Aero Cobra was a singularly unusual design, and in service with the United States in considerable numbers, such that when joining the war in 1941 it was the principal American fighter in service. It differed from many other types flying at the time by having a tricycle undercarriage, which eliminated many of the difficulties new pilots had in dealing with the swing that tail-wheeled aircraft have during takeoff. The first was the swing that occurred when applying power due to the torque of the propeller and the spiral slipstream it creates. The second was the precessed gyroscopic effect that occurs when the tails lifted. These control problems were removed or at least lessened by the presence of a nose wheel. From outside, the fighter looked conventional enough. It was an all-metal, low-wing, single-engine aircraft with a sleek, low-drag profile and designed to fulfil the Air Corps' tactical school requirements for the tactical mission of interception and attack of hostile aircraft at high altitude. For reasons that will become obvious, the cockpit was positioned quite high, which gave the pilot a good view of the world, but the canopy was fixed in position over the pilot's head, and access was achieved via a side door, a bit like a car. It even had wind-down windows. This made abandoning the aircraft trickier than for more conventional fighters of the time. Specifications called for heavy armament, including a cannon, a glycol-cooled Allison engine with a General Electric turbo supercharger, tricycle landing gear, a level speed of at least 360 miles an hour at altitude, and a climb to 20,000 feet within six minutes. Bell had limited experience at fighter design, and approached the task from an unusual direction, placing the need to accommodate the armament first, and then designing the rest of the aircraft around it. Having settled on the Oldsmobile T9 37mm cannon as the primary weapon, it was placed in the centre of the propeller hub to give it optimum accuracy and stability. The size and location of this formidable weapon, which fired a one and a quarter pound, that's more than half a kilo, of high explosive armour piercing round in the nose, required a novel approach for the position of the engine. Although devastating when it worked, the T-9 cannon had very limited ammunition, a low rate of fire and was rather prone to jamming. 
The big Allison V12 engine was fitted almost like an afterthought and put mid-fuselage behind the cockpit with a 10-foot, 3-metre long drive shaft running through a tunnel in the cockpit floor up to the propeller gearbox. In addition, the Aero Cobra had two 50 caliber Browning machine guns in the nose and two more in the wings. Having the mass of the engine in the centre of the Aero Cobra gave it some unwelcome inertial problems, should the pilot be unwise enough to mishandle the aircraft into a spin, particularly when low on ammunition when the centre of gravity moved aft, as it often developed into an unrecoverable flat spin. Soon after entering service, more problems associated with the centre of gravity showed up as pilots began to report that the aircraft would sometimes tumble end over end. The veteran pilot Bob Hoover experienced this and described it in his autobiography. A report into this floor found that all the testing had been done with full ammunition loads in the front compartments of the nose, but this wasn't really the aircraft's main problem. In order to achieve the required top speed, Bell had fitted a two-stage turbo supercharger, which was cooled by a large intake on the left side of the fuselage. Without the room to move or better cool the supercharger, the drag was just too much, so Larry Bell took the decision to produce the aircraft with only a single-stage supercharger. The supercharger's critical altitude was about 12,000 feet, above which the performance dropped off rapidly, and because of the unusual engine placement, there was no room for fuel to be kept in the fuselage, only in the wings, which gave the aircraft an uncomfortably short range. This made the Aero Cobra unsuitable for operations in Europe, where it compared poorly against the fighters in that theatre. The RAF, unaware of these problems, ordered 675 export versions, known as the Bell Model 14 Caribou. What they didn't know was that the performance figures claimed by Bell were achieved with a highly modified aircraft. The elevator and rudder had been reduced in size, special fillets were installed, the canopy was fared in with putty, an exhaust stack fairing was fitted, machine gun ports were smoothed over, the radio antenna mast was removed and a single-piece engine cowling fitted. The aircraft was then painted with 20 coats of primer and sanded down each time to remove blemishes, and bulging doors were modified to stay flush. The weight was reduced by removing armour and the like to make it lighter. In this condition, the P-39 came within 1% of the RAF's requirements, achieving 391 miles an hour. When the production aircraft began to arrive, which had none of these special modifications, they revealed a top speed of only 355 miles an hour. The cockpit layout was criticised. It was noted that the pilot would have difficulty in bailing out, and the lack of a clear vision panel on the windscreen assembly meant that in heavy rain the pilot's forward view would be completely obliterated. The pilot's notes advised that in the event of this, 
the door windows should have to be lowered and the speed reduced to 150 miles an hour. The RAF's Aero Cobras served with only one squadron, number 601, a combination of poor serviceability and deep distrust of this unfamiliar fighter resulted in the RAF rejecting the type after only one combat mission. In March 1942, the unit re-equipped with Spitfires. Some of the aircraft destined to come to Britain were requisitioned by the United States, renamed the P-400, and sent to the 5th and 13th Air Forces in the Pacific. Despite its limitations in altitude and range, the much-maligned aircraft claimed around 80 kills of Japanese aircraft, and some pilots became aces flying it. Although the Aerocobra's low-altitude performance was good and its firepower impressive, regardless, it soon became a joke in the Pacific theatre that a P-400 was a P-40 with a zero on its tail. The remainder of the aircraft were packed off to the Soviet Union and flown by the Red Air Force. They received the much-improved N and Q models, and since the tactical missions flown didn't require high-level performance, they did better than expected. The Soviet pilots appreciated the aircraft's strengths and developed successful tactics that suited the aircraft that they called the Little Cobra. They had no problems engaging the Ju-87 Stukas or the early versions of the Messerschmitt Bf 109. When they received their later Aero Cobras with the M4 37mm cannon and four machine guns, they immediately removed the wing-mounted guns, leaving two machine guns and the cannon in the nose. This improved the aircraft's roll rate considerably, making it much more agile. But the cannon only carried 30 rounds and was slow at three rounds a second. But despite this, the aircraft was primarily used for air-to-air combat. Five of the highest-scoring Soviet aces logged the majority of their kills in P-39s. A total of 4,719 P-39s were sent to the Soviet Union, accounting for more than a third of all the US and UK-supplied aircraft, and they served with the Red Air Force until as late as 1949. Other air forces had occasion to use this flawed fighter. The Royal Australian Air Force borrowed 23 from the US 5th Air Force to use as a stopgap interceptor in the rear areas and for defence of Darwin. As soon as possible, they were replaced with the Vulti Vengeance dive bombers and the indigenous Commonwealth Aircraft Corporation Boomerang. Hardly a brilliant upgrade, as they were only really useful in the ground attack role. And from early 1943, they acquired a wing of Spitfires to supplement the Curtis Kitty Hawk squadrons that were fighting in New Guinea. France had ordered Aero Cobras, but after they capitulated and cooperated with Germany, they were not delivered. However, free French forces fighting in North Africa were equipped with Allied weapons, including three squadrons of P-39s. 
the fighter was never popular with the French pilots and was subsequently replaced with P-47 Thunderbolts. Italy also received some to arm the Royalist Italian co-belligerent air force. The aircraft didn't serve them particularly well, and in three months there were 11 accidents due to engine failures and the poor condition of their base. Sadly, two pilots were seriously injured and three died, one of whom was Sergente Maggioli Carasio Vittorio Martinoli, the famous Italian ace of aces. Under unusual circumstances, some Aero-Cobras were operated by the Portuguese army. As part of Operation Torch, the invasion of North Africa, the 81st and 305th fighter groups were dispatched to airfields in North Africa. But due to a number of mechanical difficulties, many aircraft were forced to land in Portugal and Spain, who were generally maintaining neutrality. The 19 P-39 Aracobras, plus a single P-38 Lightning that landed in Portugal, were interned and then put into service with the Portuguese army. Although the United States made no request for payment, the Portuguese government paid $20,000 for each interned aircraft, for which the US gifted four additional crates of aircraft, but without supplying spares, flight manuals or service manuals. Without proper training and documentation, the operation of these aircraft proved to be a nightmare for the Army Military Aviation Wing, and the aircraft was plagued with problems. However, six remained in service until 1950, when they were sold for scrap. The P-38 had a short reprieve from obscurity in the US after the war when three Bell Aircraft test pilots, Slick Goodlin, Tex Johnson and Jack Woolhams, extensively modified two of them and then raced the renamed Cobra 1 and Cobra 2 in the national air races. With the more powerful P-63 engine and using prototype propeller blades from the Bell factory, the aircraft could reach around 400 miles an hour. But on a test flight over Lake Ontario, Cobra 1 suddenly and inexplicably crashed into the water, breaking apart on impact and killing Jack Willems. Tex Johnson flew Cobra 2 in the race and unexpectedly beat the favourites, who were flying race-modified P-51 Mustangs. In 1968, owner-pilot Mike Carrolls flew Cobra II again in a test flight, before attempting to break the World Piston engine airspeed record, but like Willems, he was also killed in an unexpected crash. Unlike the P-66 Vanguard, several Aerocobras can still be seen in various locations around the world, including Mariba, Australia, Edmonton, Canada, Finland, Papua New Guinea, Yakutsk in Russia, and a number in the United States, including the wonderfully named Air Zoo in Kalamazoo.
If you enjoyed this story, it would be great if you could mention it on social media and perhaps leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Plane Tales is a feature segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. Find us at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Yeehaw!